Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 3, uh, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might send out, that he might send them out to preach. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to those joining online and those that will watch this later. Hello to you as well. It is great to be in worship with you as always. And uh, as you know, last week we finished a sermon series. Oh, I know. And this week we're not starting a new sermon series. It's just a one-off sermon. So uh, in your bulletin it may say creation, but that is not uh, the creation as far as an an intro thing. But that is not true. It's actually just learning from the master here today as a sermon. Uh, First, let's though, let's pray together as we get started. Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Brad just uh, read from the Gospel of Mark, one of the great things about Mark is if you have a short memory, it's a great book to go to to memorize verses because so many of the verses of Mark are nice and short. And so that was one verse of Mark right there. And, And of course, you can memorize that very easily. And in fact, in reading scripture, I've always been amazed at uh, you come to the book of Mark and uh, in so many ways it feels like it's fast forward and it's just going really fast to the story. Jesus is jumping around here, jumping over there, doing these different things. But one of the things I've noticed in Mark is if you don't slow down, you can miss some key details. And in fact, uh, this verse right here is one that in recent days I've been really spending a lot of time focusing on and thinking of and uh, thinking about the implications of it with our lives and specifically even the ministry of church in general and how things are done. Today's uh, sermon is a little different. There's not really a, hey, go do this kind of at the end of it per se. There's there's maybe a challenge coming, but maybe something to think about. But, and it's not really kind of like, oh, it's going to just totally break your mind and, you know, like do all things like that. It's just some things to simmer on and something to consider and to just let it sit there and just let it simmer for a bit. You know, you put it on the back burner of your stove, if, you know, when you do cooking and stuff. And it just kind of simmers and kind of gets that sauce nice and tasty and juicy. You know, just kind of, and then it makes the dish at the end so much better by the end. And so uh, today is a, a little bit different sermon than maybe we're used to uh, here on a Sunday morning. But worthwhile, uh, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing I want to just point out in this verse that's maybe easy to overlook, and in fact, when this verse happens, it's actually in the subsection of like the paragraph, if you will, of Jesus calling the 12 disciples and he names them, right? And so just, just to hear it, it says this, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with them and send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And the 12 were appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them be the name of Barnegus, I can't even say it, Barnegus, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so whenever I read this, you know, like there's just certain points you get used to reading and you sort of focus on them. So I always like get drawn to the names in this verse, except that are these verses, because it's just that section where he chooses them out. And so it's really easy to overlook until someone pointed out more recently to me uh, through some reading I was doing that specific verse we had this morning. I just want to read it to you again. He appointed 12 and designated them apostles that they might be with him. Did you hear it? He appointed 12 apostles. The part that just 
it just really sad me lately that they might be with him. And if you look at the Greek, there's a complete kind of thought stop there. And then it goes on to say, and that he might send them out to preach. And again, it goes on, and of course, from there. But that idea of that the scripture called out, this idea and the method of Jesus calling his disciples, and the very first thing that Mark wants to point out that being a disciple, what it meant was to just be with them. And in fact, when I was just kind of focusing on that thought and thinking about it, I, the, book I was, the books I was reading were kind of really challenging some of maybe the notions of how we do ministry, and not we specifically, but the church in general and global church does ministry and does all different things. Because you remember what the mission of the church is, right? You remember what our mission statement, and as a United Methodist Church, we have a mission statement that the whole denomination has together. Do you remember what it is? It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and specifically we added a little later, for the transformation of the world, but you know, to make disciples of Jesus Christ in short. And it is interesting that thinking about just my experiences in life and, and of course that disciples of all nations comment comes from that great commission of Matthew chapter 8, 28. But it's interesting to think back. I've been following Christ, you know, intentionally and very, very following his way and, and doing all these different things for 27 years. I added it up. It was 1996 where I had my kind of God moment and really said, no, I'm going to follow Jesus and I believe this and this is what I'm going to do and I'll submit my life to following his ways. And, you know, since then, you know, I went through church, did all youth group things until I was into my, uh, you know, into my high school years. And then, you know, went off to college, did the, you know, college stuff and got involved with all the different ministries. Uh, felt the calling, went off to, you know, do finish college and then go on to seminary. Uh, through seminary, did, of course, all the training there and uh, snuck in an extra year because I got sick. So I had to kind of do some extra time at the seminary for a little bit. And then uh, apart from that, then I got ordained. You know, I got, went through all the residency programs of the Methodist Church. And then I was even asked to be a mentor for others that were going through the ordination process. And this verse, and specifically that one line, and to be with them, has me kind of rethinking so much of that training and so much of how the church kind of thinks of making a disciple. And in fact, if I was to, you know, if you were to sit down and we were having a conversation over, you know, some hot cocoa or coffee or whatever beverage of your choice you would choose to have with your pastor. Uh, some of you, I know, you would go, you would, you, would, you would do it. I know you would. But you would have a conversation. If I asked you this question, I said, how do we make disciples? Just practically, think about that for a second. How does the church make disciples, right? And if you really get down to it, kind of what some of the, the things that I've really been wrestling with and simmering on and, and kind of letting it simmer in my own life, is so many, so much of we think of making disciples is focused on the masses. And what I mean by that is focusing on the message for like the masses, if you will. And yet Jesus in this moment has all these masses, all these people that he could go talk to. And, and you know, he gets up on the hill and does, does a lot of mass speeches to the masses all the time. But specifically, he called 12. And specifically, he called them to come first thing before everything else, be with him. And as I think about, you know, the different trainings I've had and different things, you know, there's org charts you go through and how should a church be organized? Is this, is this method or this method better? Is there's best practices and strategies for reaching out and projects and things. There's, there's focuses on different aspects of that, whether it needs to be simple or 
you know, very, very top heavy or does it need to be different or, you know, does it need to be grassroots or top down, all those questions? Does it need to, you know, but so much of it revolves around program and events and things like that. And I was talking with one of my pastor friends and he was saying, you know, it's really funny as I think back on my life, how as a pastor, the number one thing I'm called to do is make disciples. And he said, the one thing that I never have time to do <laughs> is to make disciples, right? <laughs> there's programs, there's events, there's all these different things that are constantly ongoing and ongoing. But if I really had to sit down and say, how does the disciple get made? I would go, well, hopefully they just come to people, just come to things and it just happens, right? Is almost kind of the thought. And I was thinking about this so much lately and really kind of doing, again, some different thoughts. But I thought, you know what? How do disciples really just get made? And it occurred to me, and, and really as I read through other books that were making this point, that Jesus made disciples, right? Light bulb. Oh, Jesus made disciples himself, right? And not only that, he not only made the disciples, if you will, but he did it in a specific way. And you know what's interesting is all the training I went through in seminary and all these different things, no one, everybody focused on the message of Jesus Christ and what he said and all those different things and, and you know, his actions and stuff, but they never really focused on the method he used. And so I was reading some different things about, again, coming back and looking at the idea of the, what is the method, actually, of making disciples? And so, of course, to take some time and to reflect today and simmer on the idea, well, how did Jesus do it? And the first thing to notice is the disciples were called the 12, right? That he chose a few. In other words, there were vast oceans of people that Jesus wanted to disciple, but he didn't try to do them all at once. He said, you know what? I'm going to choose these 12. And those 12 were with him, as it says in Scripture. And of course, what does it mean to be with them through there? Uh, one of my books that I've really been enjoying reading through this is a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It was actually an old book. You might have read it before. It's from 1963, original printing. Of course, if you buy it today, it's got you know, newer printing and all that stuff, but it's still the same message. But this person actually goes through it. His name is Robert E. Coleman. And he actually goes through and he says, you know what? Here's how Jesus, if you look at the method he used, how he did it. And so I just want to, I'm going to paraphrase sort of, sort of some of the terms he uses, but what did he do? And first of all, of course, we mentioned just before, he chose a few instead of the masses and that he was associated, as he would say, with them, as in this, that to be around him, to just be with him was the knowledge. Now I get that differently. So like, it wasn't a matter of just learning what Jesus was teaching. It was about learning who the master was. And the only way Jesus could have the disciples learn who the master was, was to be with them, right? And the disciples actually had to be with them. And that Jesus had to be with them. And not only that, but, he, but if you look at how Jesus did it, he, he required sacrifice. They had to leave behind their lives and come forward. There was an element of them saying no to the world and at least initiating that initial invitation and accepting it of sacrifice. And so even though there were a plethora of people out there, when Jesus called, there were only so many that answered. And in fact, later on in one of the scriptures, you remember the story of the rich ruler, if you will, the rich young man that comes to Jesus. And it's one of the few times that Jesus actually says, hey, you, follow me. And there's an invitation to disciple. It's almost like there should have been a 13th disciple in this moment. And in that moment, the man says, 
you know, but Jesus then goes on and says, and, you know, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me. And the rich young man can't do it. And it's because Jesus not only chose a few, not only was he around with them, but he required some sense of sacrifice to continue to be with them. Some other things that were interesting about the fact of being with them is that he gave the disciples work to do. As then he actually sent them on missions. If you remember in the, the scriptures, he sends out the 12, then he sends out the 72, and, and they go out, and the first time there's, you know, a little bit of success, not much, but the second time they come back and they're like, Jesus, we cast out demons. We did miracles. It was fantastic. And Jesus has that line where he says, you know, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. It's like, I know you had success, right? <laughs> I know you did, right? And he gave them work to do, and they went out and they did it. And not only did they go out and do it, but there was also a sense that being with Jesus provided feedback and a supervision, that Jesus didn't just leave them off to their own, but being with them. Not only was he around them, not only did they learn about who Jesus was, not only did they sacrifice like Jesus did, not only did they give, go out and do the work that Jesus did, but Jesus gave them the, the report card, if you will. And so many times in Scripture you see like Jesus is doing ministry, and he even asks his disciples to do stuff, and they're like, we don't get it, Jesus. And then Jesus takes them aside, right? And he goes like, all right, guys, here's what we're doing. <laughs> and here's, here's why you're failing, right? And here's what you need to do. And he gives them different direction. He, almost, he really mentors them in those moments. And of course, being with them, he expected them to multiply, just like he was multiplying them. That he was training them not only to be disciples, but be disciple makers. You remember the very first thing he told some of the disciples when he called them, he said, I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. And the last thing I would point out from what I was saying here today is that being with Jesus, there's a receiving of the Spirit, what Coleman calls impartation, the idea that just being with Jesus is not just learning, but there's actually the Spirit that is shared with you and in you. And that same Spirit of God lives inside you, and you get more of it by being with Jesus and in his presence to go out and do the work, to be supervised, to multiply, to sacrifice, and to be around others, to be called to do ministry. You know, it's interesting, I was thinking about this, and, you know, every now and then it's good to look back on your life and kind of give yourself a report card, right? And I thought about it, and I said, you know, what is like, if I was to say, what was the most disciple-making thing, ministry, that I was ever part of? It's not just like, what was an amazing experience, or what was like, you know, something that I was really proud of that I, you know, like really like looked back on and was just amazing to see God at work. But what things really made a difference in making a disciple? And I really came up with two, right? Looking back on my life and, and ministry to this point. And here are the two. You ready for them? Wasn't like a big revival meeting, right? That I got to preach fiery, fiery sermons or something, right? And it wasn't, uh, you know, even some mission work of doing different things and serving people. Um, it was these two things. The first one was something that kind of stumbled upon that I didn't even really think through at the time that we just sort of set it up this way and it, and it was amazing, but was confirmation at the first church I served and how we did it. We actually, uh, instead of like doing a confirmation class, like i had always grown up with, that's how you do it. You do a class with the pastor and all that stuff. We actually set up like a mentor program. So the kids actually chose someone in the church to be their confirmation mentor. And then, of course, we gave them material and books, and like, there was a whole curriculum developed with it. But the core of the confirmation was meeting with their mentor for 10 weeks 
And of course, they got to decide the time and all the different stuff. And they would go through not only the material, but they would have time to pray together and different things like that. And there was actually a service trip, like service mission work built into the confirmation class. It occurred to me in there, as I thought back on it, like how many people grew in their faith through that experience? And not only the, the people going through confirmation, but even the confirmation mentors that were going through it, all of them said, you know, this was one of the most profound experiences that they had. And at the time I thought, oh, I just stumbled upon, oh, this is good, it just works for this church, all that stuff. But then I started thinking about what we talked about here today, that Jesus called the disciples to be with him. And then I thought about, you know, all these different stages of being with him and what that can mean. And the simple truth is, is that, that the confirmation system that was developed there was focused around being with people being with someone in mentor program, being with someone and learning from them, knowing their life. And no matter who you are, if you are, have a teenager that meets with you 10 weeks in a row, they are going to see through any front you put up, right? <laughs> and they're going to ask you questions that you are not comfortable with, and they're going to just probe and prod your life for those 10 weeks. And in fact, so many people opened up their lives, not only their knowledge, but their very own lives, and the knowledge wasn't just about the material, but the knowledge was about what practically makes a difference in your life that you believe in God. And that was passed on, ultimately, to the younger people, who, of course, then saw the worthiness of that and applied it in their own lives to go on. And the other second thing I saw on that was um, also just the idea of sometimes we would do like these big week-long mission trips in the past, and how just the fact that you were put away together to go serve together and that you were with each other and there was no escaping it, right? You were with each other, serving alongside each other, praying with each other and doing ministry with each other. Now really, in some sense, you were doing exactly what Jesus did with his disciples as they went around all of Galilee and did ministry together. You know, it's so interesting because one of the interesting things I find about being a pastor, and it's true always, it's, it's never failed, is one of the hardest things to do is to set aside devotion time to be with Christ, right? Because there's always a sermon to prepare, there's always something to do, there's always someone to call, there's someone to visit, there's someone to do this, someone to do that, and yet the very first thing Jesus calls his disciples to do is to be with them. So if it was going to change this from a simmering sermon to a, hey, let's do it sermon, if you aren't already meeting with Christ, take time to meet with Christ. Make it part of your day because everything else flows from that. That's number one. But the number two thing is this, is that each and every single one of us, and, and of course, if you don't put yourself in this category, you need to, we are called to make disciples. It's a mission. It's your duty. You have a job. Like You and I have been given a job, and it's not just the pastor's responsibility. It's every single person who follows Christ to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And the only way that we've been taught to do that, and some of the ways we've been taught to do that, I would say, miss the very way Jesus did it, right? And so one of the things I'm, I'm really wondering is, is not, is not just the message, but is it also sort of the method that's meaningful? And in order to truly do what Jesus would call us to do and to do it like him, if you will, and to mimic the way that he actually did things, 
is you would have to be with someone in order to do that. You know, one of the challenges that I, or I listen to a lot of radio and different speakers and different things, and I'm always amazed at some of the most high profile, you know, and every, every uh, you know, sector of the economy has their different people they looked up, right? And so for pastors, there's certain pastors that are like, ooh, this is the, this is the cool pastor, right? The, the, he or she is doing all these amazing things and their church is doing all this amazing stuff and all these different things. And I'm always amazed that whenever I, you, you talk to some of these pastors, and whether it's me or someone interviewing them or reading them, how many times they mention that one of the practices they've never lost is simply they always meet with at least one or two people through the week and disciple them. And they, they don't use that word. I'm using that right now. But they normally say they mentor somebody. They, they meet with someone who's either not even a religious person and maybe even atheist, and they're meeting together, having discussions about God, or maybe someone who's new in the faith, and they're helping them bring along. But it's amazing to me how much life, and when they talk about it, and they, you know, they're trying to ask them about their ministries and the church and what they're doing, and they can't help but talk about this person <laughs> that they're meeting with. And what an impact it is in not only the person's life, but in their life as well. I think back on my years, and you know, the simple truth is, is that it wasn't really even a message that brought me to the Lord. It wasn't even, you know, a revival moment or something like that. It was really who, who made such a big difference in my life was someone that came and called and said, Hey, I'm appointed as a youth pastor of your church. Let's get together, play guitar. And we would come together, play guitar, and he'd invite me to this thing, and invite me to that thing. And we would go, and we would do different stuff and, and with the group, but, you know, it was with him. And so I just remember seeing the life of his life, or the light in his life, I should say, and saying, you know what? I want that. Which ultimately made that response in August of 1996, where I chose to follow Jesus Christ. And so let that simmer. Christ has called us to make disciples. But how do you be with someone? And who are you with to make a disciple? And you know, if you think about it, it's actually not so hard, right? You find someone to meet with. You share your life, either over coffee or lunch or whatever it is. You talk about scripture, you talk about prayer, you pray together, you talk about how Jesus is at work in your life. And through those moments, the very impartation of the Spirit takes place where someone encounters Jesus Christ. And without even asking the question, they're forced to make the decision, do I want that same person in my life or not? And thus, more and more people follow Jesus. Of course, one of the age-old stories is the story of the, the sea stars. And you know it very well, but I'll tell it very briefly here, right? There's a man walking on the shore, and there were just sea stars strung out on the shore, all that you could see. Who knows how many? Just hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands. Who knows? Just all across the seashore. And as he's walking, you know, he's thinking that all these sea stars are going to, as the tide had rolled out, they were all going to dry up and die because they weren't in the water. And he noticed a young man. And the young man was sitting there, and he was on the edge of the shore, and he kept picking up a, a she-star and just throwing it back out there, right? And he kept up picking up another one and throwing it back out there and picking it up. And the man watched for a while, and finally he came up to the man. And he said, you know, all these sea-stars you see, I see you're trying to do a good thing, but you know what? There's no way you can put all of them back into the ocean. What does it matter that you're doing? And the young man, of course, looked at him and said, well, it mattered to that one that I sent. 
Now pause the story there, that's where the story ends, because of course one thing matters. But what if the man stuck around with the young man and he started picking up sea stars? And the next person he came in contact with, right? See how this is going? <laughs> and that person wondered what was going on and all of a sudden said, well, yeah, that does make a difference. And they started picking up the sea stars and throwing them in, and then on and on and on and on. All of a sudden, you'd have a whole disciple sea star making thing going on, right? <laughs> Which may be exactly the way Jesus has called us to make disciples. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. And God, as we're here today, it's a challenge always in our world. And in so many ways, people uh, and that we think about are very far from you and that we know in our life. You think about people that maybe have just, life has just rubbed them the wrong way, or maybe they've bad, made horrible decision after horrible decision. Or maybe they have power as defined by this world immensely, and they don't give you any credit for it, and go about their own ways, seeking their own desires. God, you've called us to love this world like you have, and the people in it, and called you've called us to make disciples. As we, your people, humbly submit to that mission, and to do our best to go through it. God, help us to really make disciples the way you want us to. And God, if we can make a difference in one person's life, let us take that time out of our life to meet with them regularly, to once again share the knowledge we have and share the life that we have. And that person would see your light through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.